welcome to season 3 episode 4 of Mimble Wimble the Harry Potter podcast. I am Prashanthri and I am Aishwarya. Today's episode is called Hermione's friend visits Hogsmeade. We cover chapter 9 Grim Defeat and chapter 10 The Marauder's Map of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Let's start with the summary. The night after Black's break-in, all the students sleep in the Great Hall while the professors led by Professor Dumbledore search the castle for Black. They find nothing. Sir Cadogan replaces the fat lady as the Gryffindor entrance porter and things sort of go back to normal as the weather takes a turn for the worse. The Gryffindor team's first game is supposed to be against Slytherin but they back out using Malfoy as an excuse so it ends up being against Hufflepuff. To make things worse, Lupin falls sick just before the game and Harry has to endure Snape as a substitute teacher. Quidditch is always fun though but not this particular game for Harry. It's raining so much that Harry has poor visibility despite Hermione's cool charm. and things take a turn for the worse when he sees the silhouette of a large black dog in the stands when he wakes up in the hospital wing he realizes that not only did they lose the match but the whomping willow has made short work of his broomstick after the fall from his broomstick harry is miserable not only about the loss of his nimbus or the game but also because the strange effect of the dementors on him and his continued sightings of the grim right before disaster strikes however he feels a little better after talking to lupin who gives him an explanation and promises to teach him an anti dementor spell soon A second Hogsmeade visit rolls around and Harry is approached by Fred and George Weasley who give him an early Christmas present, a map that acts like Google Maps but also with people. Harry uses the map to navigate his way under the school and into the basement of Honeydukes where he meets Ron and Hermione. They hang out in the Three Broomsticks pub but unfortunately the teachers also have the weekend free so they're hanging out there too. So Harry has to hide under the table. They say that eavesdroppers hear no good of themselves. I don't know who they are, but they aren't completely right because Harry overhears truths, actual incidents that led up to Voldemort's demise and how he, his family and Sirius Black were involved. But the chapter opens with all the students sleeping in the great hall. I don't know if it's true for everybody, but when something different than routine happens and disrupts the flow of the day, I really really enjoy it. <laughs> As school students any opportunity to skip classes would be fun if there's an external thing forcing you to skip classes it's even funner for a goody two shoes kind of a person like i used to be because i'm not taking the initiative to skip class so i'm not in trouble for the unexpected change in routine but i think i like those disruptions even as an adult even when i know that whatever work is stalled by the disruption has to be done later yeah i completely agree especially the part where you said where you feel like you are not at fault because you haven't taken any initiative but the classes are being skipped anyway yeah the best days off are definitely the days where the internet is not working at the office <laughs> fire alarm going off yes i don't want it to happen often because that would take away the novelty of it but that happening once in a while really rejuvenates you or gives you a break that you did not know that you needed yeah completely agree In this case all the students are at one place and they are having this massive sleepover. I would have been just so excited to be a part of that. I know because the students usually sleep in their house dorms. So if you had a friend in Ravenclaw and you were in Gryffindor, that means you could literally never have a sleepover because Ravenclaws aren't allowed inside Gryffindor dorms and Gryffindor people cannot go to Ravenclaw dorms. So this is a chance for like inter-house friends to have sleepovers. and that's great it's really sad that houses cannot be entered by someone who doesn't belong to it because i think that really spoils the opportunity for interhouse friendship the few times harry has ever been to another house's common room it was never because he wanted to hang out with anybody 
it's because he absolutely had to go there yeah i did think it was a little weird that yes i know the gryffindors can't go into their common room but i assume all the other students made into their common room just fine no i think they are searching the common rooms no yeah but i assume the students would have gone inside the gryffindors weren't able to go inside yeah they would have gone in and that's after that they would have been brought back so there's a lot of chaos happening as a consequence which black could very well have used as a cover to escape so i thought it was weird that they'd have the students move around so much i understand the motive because they wanted to really properly search the school and it makes sense to put all the elements that they have to defend together in one place but i thought it was kind of weird i think the moment they find out that serious black is not in the gryffindor common room because he was not let in they figure that he might have just gone anywhere to any other common room to anywhere within the school and the first thing they need to worry about is students safety so i think that's the reason why they bring them all together under one place and have like so many prefects and the head boy and the head girl watching over them as fun as it would have been for the students it would have been very terrifying and worrying for the teachers while searching the castle i mean i think this is one of those moments where you both want to find that person and put an end to everybody's worry and don't want to find that person correct it's like finding the troll in the dungeons also a person who murdered 13 people in broad daylight being taken on by a single teacher who finds him that doesn't seem very safe and based on the events of the next chapter we know that these are teachers who taught him so they have an additional personal relationship there as well i think once you're deranged all the personal <laughs> relationships go out of the window they have the personal relationship with him we don't know enough to know if he feels the same way so they're all sleeping in the purple squishy sleeping bags they are squashy oh uh, squashy they don't get a lot of time to talk because 10 minutes into the whole thing percy shuts the light he's like walking around between students trying to make them sleep yeah percy's such a killjoy <laughs> well that's his job but still killjoy That's when Harry, Ron and Hermione discuss what's happening and I think that's the first time we learn that Hogwarts is protected by more than just walls. Yeah. Because there are a lot of guesswork going around about how Sirius could have gotten in. Someone says he flew in, someone says he they turned into something and came in or something. And Hermione points out to Ron and Harry that that wouldn't have been possible because Hogwarts would have got it. Mm-hmm. I think that information is really crucial for everything that follows, not just in this book, but also in the other books. I agree. I wonder if this was the idea in mind even as J.K. Rowling wrote the first two books. Mm-hmm. Because we know that this rule was not broken in the first two books. I think she might have written the first two books with this rule in mind. Because this rule, I think, makes the plots all the more interesting because it puts a restriction on the movements. And it also restricts her own magic system, which is great. By making it difficult for people to enter Hogwarts, any plot that's inside Hogwarts is automatically hampered by the fact that people cannot easily come in and people cannot easily leave. Also, that means that someone inside the castle is involved. Yes. What I find really strange is how calm Harry, Ron and Hermione are. At this point, according to the three of them, Sirius Black would have tried to break into the Gryffindor common room only to get to Harry. Correct? Yeah, but they're not worrying about how close to danger they were. I know. They're really oddly calm about it. They don't even discuss it. I don't know if it's shock or if they haven't realized the real consequence of what happened because Sirius trying to break into their common room is everything that everybody assured them would never happen. Correct. That he wouldn't be able to get into Hogwarts because of the dementors and because of Dumbledore and because of Hogwarts defenses but he managed to get there. Yeah. It's like their safe space was almost breached. 
Yeah. Just the usual Hogwarts stuff then. Yes. <laughs> Every year they promise something and promptly break the promise. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think the worst offending year would be year 4. Yes. Yeah, but we'll get to it. Mhm. Well, right now let's talk about Snape's suspicions. As Hermione explained to Ron and Harry, Hogwarts is protected by more than just physical walls and evil soul-sucking creatures patrolling its grounds. It has many magical defenses as well that don't allow people to apparate inside or to fly over or to even sneak in unseen, which means that someone must have actually helped Black into the castle or he must be a wizard of such amazing magical ability that literally nothing should be able to stand in his way but a portrait was able to that's true nobody discusses that yeah so there are so many things at odds here i find it really worrying that dumbledore completely dismisses snape's suspicions we know that dumbledore might reject some idea while talking to someone but the hope is that he does think about it when he is by himself it's just he won't even entertain the idea i think Snape is bringing it up in front of all the students on purpose just like he wants the students to learn about werewolves. Yeah. I think Dumbledore's objection is mainly about the students knowing something about the teachers rather than Snape's suggestion. That's fair, but he could have at least said hey we'll talk about it later. Instead he says that he firmly believes no one helped Black into the castle and just walks away. But I guess at Dumbledore's stature, he cannot go off on every suspicion he he ever has or every suspicion the teachers ever have. Dumbledore has his own who he believes in, who he gives second chances to, and all that. It's the same thing he did with Hagrid the last year. Believing someone, even though there is overwhelming evidence against them, is one of Dumbledore's really good quality, and I guess that's what. is being displayed here and also you know hyping up the drama for these three cuz the drama hype yeah i do like the conversation though even though percy is right there snape actually tries to keep him out of it but i guess we know that since harry ron and hermione are the heroes they are listening to all this yeah dumbledore also says something which confused me a bit he says he's going to go inform the dementors that Sirius Black is not in the castle. I just wonder how do you talk to dementors? How do you inform dementors anything? You know that's what I've written down as well like because this comes up in the next chapter where Fudge says that the dementors are angry. Dementors have emotions? I don't know how. I mean they don't look like they can talk. They are not capable of human speech for sure. And what if the dementors just attack Dumbledore? What happens then? I think Dumbledore can defend himself. He can. He was able to make the dementors leave. Yeah. But what is keeping everybody at bay? That's the that's my main confusion here. I don't know. I guess it's like any other monster. They want to keep away from humans who can hurt them. I guess. But they also want humans because their excitement is food, something they feed on. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. It's a little confusing there. Yeah. But clearly the dementors do understand human communication because they're guards at the prison, which means they understand duty and their objective as guards. But I'm not sure how people talk to dementors and this never comes up in the series. Yeah. Okay. So after the giant sleepover is over, I think the only person who seems to take this very seriously is Percy because of his mother probably because he is walking with Harry like an extremely pompous <laughs> guard dog. And this phrase for some reason reminded me of Maximus from Tangled. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Except Maximus is a horse. I know why it reminded you of Maximus. because Maximus the horse behaves like a dog. Yeah, it's our theory about how all animals behave like dogs in 
animated movies no not all animated movies but mostly disney movies and how to train your dragon at this point harry is pretty much out of it looks like he is not allowed to go to hogsmeade he is not even able to be at peace with himself because he's followed around by people who want to protect him and there is also a madman lurking around in the shadows trying to murder him the only thing that's giving him any kind of solace is the fact that he can play quidditch but apparently that is also slightly in danger because playing quidditch means you're being out in the open and that allows him to be more exposed and thereby sirius black can attack him very easily so mcconagall wants him to not play quidditch but obviously harry is not okay with that i wonder how mcconagall drew the lot to be the person who has to tell harry about sirius she belongs to the gryffindor house no i know but she not only has to say harry you'll be in the open and you might be attacked by a mass murdering wizard but she's under the assumption that harry has no idea that said mass murdering wizard is specifically after him so poor mcgonagall <laughs> i also think that the only reason she's bringing it up is because she wants to prevent harry from playing which must have been really difficult for her because we know that mcgonagall is very invested in the success of the gryffindor quidditch team I think that's the only reason she's allowing him to play while Madam Hooch supervises him because I think that one teacher who's not even like specialized in the dark arts or who's not even demonstrated any magical ability other than flying is seen as a possible protector because McGonagall really likes Quidditch and really wants Gryffindor to win and I think at that point I don't know if it's right that she listen to Harry and let him practice but I think her liking of the game and wanting to win took over her senses. And this isn't the first time that such a conflict of interest rises for McGonagall. What do you mean? Well, she let Harry play even as a first year. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's far less dangerous than what's happening right now. That's true. You're right though. I'm not certain why McGonagall was pacified by just having Madam Hooch there. Because like you said, she hasn't demonstrated any specific defense against the dark arts skills till date. Yeah. I would have hoped at least McGonagall would volunteer to come oversee his practice. Yeah, but I assume she has a life and she wants to do her job. Correct, but protecting Harry is also her job. Not for hours at a time while watching them play Quidditch. She's invested in the success. She's not crazy. <laughs> but as usual they are a little flippant about safety. <laughs> yeah, they are a little flippant about safety. If you just look at the Quidditch match that happens next, you know that they just really don't care. I guess because things settle down a little bit and they don't hear anything about black around the castle that it slides out of their mind as a priority at least it does for the students after you know all the wild theories about how he got into the castle are passed some of these theories are really wild hana abbot actually thinks that sirius superpower is being able to turn himself into a flowering shrub first off hana how do flowering shrubs move around the castle well it's magical flowering shrub so it has legs Yeah sure why not I just imagined a potted plant hopping around Hogwarts very conspicuous for some reason that reminded me of plants versus zombies <laughs> where there is no hopping <laughs> <laughs> I think it's November by this time it's raining as usual Gryffindor team is practicing for their first match against Slytherin and it's raining and there is wind there's basically a thunderstorm going on every night The Slytherins conveniently use Malfoy's supposed injury to get out of playing them in such severe conditions and Gryffindors end up having to play with Hufflepuffs a team that they're completely not prepared to play with because Wood says they have a very different style 
a team that most of the gryffindor team members are severely underestimating yes but cedric diggory is in the house yes when they are discussing it the team is very flippant about hufflepuff's skills fred's famous last words we're taking hufflepuff very seriously seriously i think it's kind of a jinx also one thing nobody is talking about this hufflepuff are also just finding out that they are going to play gryffindor theirs is going to be the first match i know they might not have been preparing as much as gryffindor has been yeah and nobody talks about how it's difficult for them yeah who cares about that <laughs> true who cares about hufflepuffs i mean i do it's sarcastic <laughs> but before hufflepuff and gryffindor can face off in a match harry has to attend a defense against the dark arts class with snape as the teacher and it is horrible harry's late snape slams lupin in front of the class is mean to the students in a whole new dimensional mean what he says to hermione is downright like abuse that is the second time you have spoken out of turn miss granger said snape coolly five more points from gryffindor for being an insufferable know it all when you think of the snape insults i don't think this comes in the top 10 i agree it's not a elegant insult it's pointed and mean it's just mean and petty yeah because what did hermione do to deserve it you asked the question she knows the answer and you have a problem with that yeah basically what ron says no ron is very justified in what he says yeah i think that that scene where everybody is just like so rebellious is a little strange because you don't see students being like that in front of snape yeah other than harry i think it's because they know better only in the sense that they've only ever had snape as a potions teacher so they're aware that snape is it for the rest of their hogwarts time but they've had lupin as a teacher and here snape coming in and slamming a beloved teacher and making them feel bad about not knowing something that wasn't even next in the syllabus so i think a natural combination of dislike for snape and loyalty for their favorite teacher just causes the class to react like that yeah I think Dean Thomas's comment about how Lupin was the best defense against the dark arts teacher they've ever had was really bold and also a little bit unprovocated. Yeah. <laughs> I think just seeing Snape out of his dungeons is making mm-hmm. them bolder. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I both love and hate the movie's portrayal of the scene because I think I can just listen to Alan Rickman saying page 394 again and again and again on loop. But on the other hand The lack of outrage at Snape calling Hermione a know-it-all was really disappointing, especially Ron's reaction, who just, like, turns it into a joke. That is the second time you've spoken out of turn, Miss Granger. Are you incapable of restraining yourself, or do you take pride in being an insufferable know-it-all? He's got a point, you know? Oh, that is so mean. Yeah. Do you really feel like Ron made a joke out of it? I know that it seems like that in the movies, but in the books, Harry has a quick... flashback to how everybody has called Hermione a know-it-all including Ron and what Ron says in the book feels like a natural side effect of his anger rather than a snide comment yeah yeah that's what i mean in the book Ron is really angry and Ron who told Hermione she was a know-it-all at least twice a week said loudly you asked us a question and she knows the answer why ask if you don't want to be told in the movie he makes a joke out of it i and i hate that they flipped it like that i know because they make it seem like Hermione should be punished for knowing their answers i think a lot of ron's big moments get reduced to these comical comments in the movie and i hate that 
this scene is also particularly memorable for me but not in a conventional sense because a lot of people on the internet when they're making a reference to snape usually pick this particular scene and his delivery of the whole turn to page 394 as a reference for snape himself right and i have never really gotten it what is so special about alan rickman's delivery of the line that people are like oh my god such an iconic snape I think I'm one of those people on the internet because I love Snape's delivery of this line. I think he just acted the shit out of that line. Really? Yeah. Every time he says it, it's more menacing than the previous time. Turn to page 394. Turn to page 394. Page 394. It's definitely different than the book where mm-hmm. I think he says it once. Yeah. or twice but i've observed that in the movie not a lot of uh, dialogues are used to move the scene it's always more acting and more suggestions of ideas rather than actually spelling out the ideas turning that simple line into something so menacing is the thing that alan rickman was so good at i see <laughs> i think you don't see <laughs> you seem very unconvinced i just think i should go back and watch that scene again it's just his straight deadpan face and him just not listening to anything students say but just repeating this over and over again it's not the essence of snape as we know it from the books but it's definitely what snape is in the movies i will go check out this scene and you're right in saying that snape is very adamant about getting the students to read this part about werewolves Yeah. So much so that he even sets them homework about it. I wonder where werewolves fall in the beings classification because they're studying them in the magical creatures syllabus of the defense against the dark arts thing, right? How do we know that? I'm just guessing because they are clubbed in along with other creatures like the Grindelow and the Hinky Punk and the Kappa. Yeah, you are right. Maybe third year is all about, you know, dark magical creatures. And we don't know a lot about werewolves. but we do know that they are people at some point of their lives so it's really strange that they are not treated as people but as on the same level as say a hinky punk which is kept in a cage what they are might not matter so much but what you have to do to protect yourself from it defines how they get classified you protect yourself from it just the way you will protect yourself from a wolf mhm a wolf is a beast i'd say a werewolf is a scarier wolf because if it is as per like movie mythology then it's a person who might be next to you who could turn into a animal when the full moon is there so it's like literally like they're hiding in plain sight and they probably like spread the werewolf agenda by biting other humans i think it's fair that they are being classified as that because clubbing that with other dark arts performed by humans means that the basic grammar itself changes because human wizard and witches use wands and the way to protect themselves from those kind of attacks is completely different than how you'll protect yourself from a werewolf but isn't the fact that they can transform make them even more dangerous which means why are they being classified along with actual creatures i think we just don't have enough information about the syllabus right now to conclude anything about it based on what we see in this scene we read a lot about some basic magical creatures and then we go straight to page 394 and read about werewolves maybe there are pages left in the book maybe in the pages between like say 100 and 394 we read more about like other magical creatures that are dangerous and not just the kind of creatures that hagrid works with yeah 
and it's possible that there's a whole debate in there about how werewolves deserve to be treated as beings and not beasts but we never really get to that i think the visiting society is a little close minded when it comes to that i think there are a few champions of people who are different who are trying to create some change like dumbledore but i wouldn't expect the book to have any kind of debate like that that's fair it's just when snape says recognize and kill werewolves that actually gave me like a little chill because it reduces something that is human a lot of the time to the same status as an animal yeah and i think that's how the visiting society sees werewolves yeah or any society for that matter because even in the popular mythology other than twilight <laughs> werewolves are always seen as something that are dangerous and that you need to kill i think that is one of the things that this book is trying to do change your perception of something that you always thought as dangerous well my only argument was twilight against your werewolves are dangerous <laughs> argument <laughs> sorry somehow i made it into my point no but i agree with you other than romanticizing werewolves there isn't a lot about werewolves in urban fantasy actually if you think of it twilight is like a great book about how monsters also have a good side to them all monsters are just misunderstood all monsters are misunderstood teenage boys it is like a disney movie ripped teenage boys yes <laughs> But Ron's outburst in the book earns him a detention, a really disgusting one at that. Is it really that disgusting? He has to clean without magic. Clean bed pants. Oh, fair. It's like Sam's job from Game of Thrones. Yeah. Like we discussed in the last episode. I think this whole book Ron is just annoyed by one teacher after the other. <laughs> <laughs> Ron's stint as a teenager has not begun well. So after that there's a lot of description about how there are thunderstorms and pounding of wind against the wall and gale of rain pouring down. All of this is supposed to make us feel like we are to pity the people living there but honestly I'm just jealous. I know. I want rain. I want to wake up at 4 a.m. because of the sound of the rain pattering against my window because that will be just awesome. I think it make a heck of a difference for Chennai. Yeah. But I like that on the day of the match Harry does wake up at 4 a.m. because of Peeves who I did not think has access to the boys dormitory. I guess you can't really stop a ghost or a poltergeist from entering anywhere in the castle. Yeah, they can walk through walls. Yeah. So he wakes up and looks at the weather and he wonders if the match will be cancelled, but he knows. Quidditch matches weren't called off for trifles such as thunderstorms. Either Harry's sarcasm game is strong or that's a true fact, but it's really worrying. Obviously, it's a true fact. This is one of the worst weather conditions in which Harry plays and he still plays. But it's a thunderstorm and a flying sport. If there's a strong wind, they're going to get blown off course. I think his fear that he will be blown off course is very real. We cannot even walk against a particularly strong gust of wind. Imagine flying. I know. That must be really difficult. And not just like the students flying around in the broomsticks, but also the balls will fly off course. Yes. Unless they are magically made to stay in course. This isn't really explored in the description of the match because we see it from Harry's perspective. And from Harry's perspective, everything is just really rainy and blurry because Harry wears glasses. Even otherwise, I think that's how it would be, right? But I think it's infinitely worse for Harry because he's wearing glasses. Yeah. Just before the match starts, they're all trying to cheer each other up. But they know that Wood is not in the right state of mind. He doesn't even want to give them a pep talk. But it's so Malfoy to brave the rain and the wind and carry an enormous umbrella just to come watch the match. Because he has this tiny hope that Gryffindor will lose. And he can also point and laugh at Harry. I know. That is some dedication to your rival. Yeah. 
there is a very tiny line between love and hate yes. really <laughs> i was just going to say that i think it would be a very close friend of mine for me to go brave such conditions to watch them play yeah finally when the team starts playing i stop being jealous of them because imagine how cold it would be to play in the rain i know i think i'd be really horrible because you're cold you have to wear those robes you're drenched and i wonder how much magic is actually allowed in quidditch are you allowed to use a spell to repel the rain I guess you can based on what Hermione does she uses the impervious spell yeah to make sure that Harry's glasses repel the rain i'm sure that you can do it to yourself too but they don't yeah they don't and no one suggests it before hermione does which means this has never occurred to any of the gryffindor quidditch players or madam hooch or any of the people watching the match other than hermione that's the advantage of having a very underdeveloped society because you learn as you go i guess or do they think of magic in the context of quidditch like a performance enhancing drug like they don't want to use magic because it will give people unfair advantage if it were thought of like that hermione will never do it it's not unfair advantage because harry is wearing glasses and he's at an unfair disadvantage and this is just fixing it i think harry is now at an advantage because he's wearing glasses that protect his eyes from the water and he can still see clearly because the glasses don't fog up and let the water just like i don't know linger there i assume they work something like windshield wipers it's constantly getting clean how is cedric able to see anything <laughs> I don't know maybe you should ask like a glass wearing person to weigh in because I've never been in the rain with glasses on I was a glass wearing person in the past for listeners of this podcast who are doubting my glass wearing credentials <laughs> I wore glasses for about 7 years before my parents thought that lacy could improve my appearance <laughs> and were you in rain at any point yes it really sucks because water is constantly splattering down your glasses it's not clear you can't see properly and already you can't see properly and the device that you used to see properly is playing with you by having water <laughs> droplets in random places it really sucks i still remember the first time that i was out in the rain after i had lasik done it was a revelation Wow. That was the first time I was happy to not wear glasses. Then our point about Harry being at an unfair disadvantage is right. It is right, but by fixing that disadvantage, I feel like Hermione has given Harry an advantage. Eyesight is still bad, right? His eyesight is still bad. A normal person not wearing glasses still has to like combat water getting into their eyes and keeping it open despite wind and water being in their face. But Harry has an advantage because he has glass between his eyes and the wind and the water, which means he can keep his eyes open. And because the water is just sliding off his glasses, he still has some visibility. Mm, yeah, I guess in the movie they fix it by giving them all goggles. Yes, I just think that if it were not allowed, Hermione would not do it. That's fair. So after that they continue playing the game it's all a lot of chaos nobody knows what anybody is up to and there is just vague understanding of what's going on in the match someone points out that Cedric Diggory is flying towards something and Harry assumes that it's the snitch and he follows him and that's when he sees hundreds and hundreds of dementors on the ground below him he sees something else before it he sees the silhouette of a large black dog in the stands it's two horrible things combined together even without the idea of a grim just looking at the stands casually and seeing a giant black dog while the thunder strikes it's just chilling i agree it's really scary and then there are the dementors and it is so much worse than it was on the train for harry 
because in the train it was one dementor and harry was not on a broomstick and it wasn't raining and it wasn't a quidditch match and he wasn't trying to get the snitch the screams are overwhelming plus there are words now not harry not harry please not harry stand aside you silly girl stand aside now not harry please no take me kill me instead suddenly the whole book turns very very serious we realize that harry is listening to his mother's final words yeah and it's very telling that even as he is collapsing after hearing his mother's words harry's first instinct is to admonish himself for not helping the person in distress even as he's collapsing yeah always the savior the sari he collapses and next thing he knows he wakes up in the hospital wing and yeah everybody is discussing the match and how he collapsed and how he fell from quite a bit of height and they also say something which i think is questionable so the match ends with cedric diggory catching the snitch before he realizes what's going on with harry and everybody just agrees that hufflepuff really won fair and square i don't agree with that at all in quidditch the concept of substitutes do exist mm mm-hmm. So if one of them collapses they have to be replaced before the match goes on right mm-hmm. and Harry was collapsing even before Cedric caught the snitch so even if they did not realize that Harry was collapsing the rules are rules you have to replace the player we don't know if Cedric caught the snitch after Harry collapsed no the point is Harry was becoming unconscious when Cedric caught the snitch maybe nobody looks into it too deeply yeah but it looks like even wood agrees hufflepuff wants fair and square and he's trying to drown himself in the shower wood prioritizing things correctly <laughs> yeah i actually like a lot of wood's reactions throughout this chapter initially in the dressing room he can't even give a pep talk he just like gives off this weird gulping noise and he looks as though he has a lockjaw when cedric diggory smiles at him on the pitch and then when hermione comes to harry's aid and fixes the glass for him Wood looked as though he could have kissed her. <laughs> and then now he's in the shower trying to drown himself. Yeah. I think he's a nervous wreck and he is like having a mental breakdown right now. Yes. Speaking of mental breakdowns, poor Harry has to find out a lot of things from the people around him at the hospital wing. First he finds out that they lost the match, which has literally never happened to Harry. Sure Harry has missed matches because of which Gryffindor has lost, but this is the first time that he has lost a match. and no matter what the conditions the thunderstorm and the dementors it really hits harry very hard but the even more distressing fact for harry is that when he fell from the air his broomstick got blown off course now i don't know how broomsticks work but it's clear that some element of their magic comes from the person on said broomstick because it gets blown off course when harry falls off it it doesn't hang in midair waiting for him or anyone else to summon it definitely I agree that magic does come from the rider. So it gets blown of course and into the whomping willow which makes a second appearance and showcases its destructive capabilities because it reduces the nimbus to just little pieces of wood which Professor Flitwick has very thoughtfully gathered for Harry. Hermione also describes to Harry how Dumbledore was furious and as soon as Harry starts collapsing he is the one who uses a charm to slow down his speed. Mm-hmm. He is furious at the dementors and his anger is keeping them at bay now mm-hmm. and how he shot silver stuff at the dementors to make them go away mm-hmm. come on hermione obviously you know what the silver, silver stuff, stuff was is. yeah i wonder if this is a direct consequence of snape calling her a know it all so she doesn't <laughs> particularly want to bring it up again yeah i also felt very very sad that harry's broomstick broke 
Yeah. I don't know why I'm so emotionally connected with the broomstick. I still remember the first time I read it. It wasn't like heartbreak. I just felt hollow inside. The line where Harry says that he felt as though he'd lost one of his best friends, like it still hurts when I read it. I agree. It's been something that has been with Harry since year 1 and this is one of the first losses he suffers. Even though it's making way for new exciting things, I do think that a little part of Harry's childhood just died. Yeah. So with that we move on to chapter 10 the marauders map. At the beginning of the marauders map Harry is still in the hospital wing but he is receiving visitors who bring him many things. I think it's cute that Ginny made Harry a get well card. Does this mean singing valentine has been proved? <laughs> Possible. I don't know why she tries to embarrass Harry so much. I think it's cute because she still has feelings for him and she's trying to show it in a non-intrusive manner. But her homemade card that sang shrilly unless Harry kept it under the fruit bowl is just a young girl's worst nightmare. Yes. You want to do something cool. You want to show that you care to your crush and you end up disturbing them and having them hide your stuff from others because of various reasons. That's just sad. I think it's a cool piece of magic also. I mean, I know that's something we have in our world as well, but I don't know why she keeps resorting to loud items. Yeah. But uh, he gets the news that the Dementors are not allowed inside Hogwarts. They were not allowed even before, but Dumbledore is like furious with them. And somehow the excitement of the match was the reason that they were there. And I was struck by how these disgusting looking horrible monsters are allowed to be near children. I know. I know Dumbledore is against it, but still, how are parents okay with it? Greater good. I don't know. Serious Black cannot be worse than this. Maybe the number of fatalities caused by dementors are not that much. But I feel like the general effect of dementors is so much worse. Yeah. Some of them are getting a sense of safety because of it and that must be the only reason they are having them around. Yeah. Harry gets a lot of time in the hospital wing to process his feelings about the dementors and what he hears in their presence. And this part made me like really sad. because we've spent all this time reading about Harry as a normal kid a normal kid who's going to a magical school and has some unusual problems like mass murdering wizard is after him but he still comes across as a fairly normal kid with just some complications but i think it's in this part that it's really reinforced that he isn't a normal kid at all that he has so much trauma in his life that he's repressed it to unbelievable extents yeah that part made me feel really sad too <laughs> Somehow Malfoy's tiny little hope that Gryffindor would lose became true. The whole sequence of events between Malfoy removing his bandage and celebrating with both his hands and gloating about how Gryffindor lost and Ron breaking and flinging a large crocodile heart at Malfoy. It's just that image is so stuck in my head. Every time there's a moment like this which is like so funny, there are many <laughs> moments like that in Harry Potter and every time that happens, I feel really sad that I can't draw because these will make for really great comic strips. I think you should try drawing it. <laughs> I'll try that then. Yes. Maybe we'll promote my stick figure image of a crocodile heart being thrown. Yeah, I think it'd be really fun. But things do look up for Harry after he gets out of the hospital wing. For one thing, Lupin is back and he says they don't have to do their homework about werewolves, which only Hermione finds tragic because she's already finished it. Yeah, and the best part about the students bursting into complaints about Snape's behavior when he was filling in for Lupin was one person who kept repeating two rolls of parchment again and again. I know, two rolls is a lot. These are moments where I realized that J.K. Rowling really understands kids. Yeah, she does. 
they have a great class when once lupin is back they learn about hinky punks i love the word hinky punk <laughs> so every time i say it it's so cute yeah it is very cute i think it's a great pet name yeah if i get a cat i will name it hinky punk i think it's a good name for something like tinyer like a kitten like a guinea pig or a i don't know a squirrel yeah i think be a great squirrel name oh when i was younger i did have a squirrel for a pet i think for a day before which it died oh no and its name was jinjilika okay then <laughs> i like the name <laughs> thank you it was a collective effort a lot of us from my classroom came together to come up with the name and then it died we overfed it okay i think it's really sweet that lupin takes up a bit of time to talk to harry about what happened at the end of the match he understands that harry losing and the dementors coming there would have really affected him and somehow harry decides to open up to lupin of all people i think it's really telling that lupin understands that harry would hurt more from losing his broomstick than the match I know that I have been appreciating J.K. Rowling a lot in this episode because I do think that there are many moments that are really telling of her style in these chapters. And one of which is how she is really good at building up a scene. When Lupin talks to Harry and realizes that Harry is feeling bad about collapsing, he decides to tell him a really important truth. The Dementors affect you worse than the others because there are horrors in your past that the others don't have. that's a such a potent line and as soon as he says that there is like a environmental change that happens the sunlight falls across the room and he puts lupin in a spotlight as if he's about to say something really important a ray of wintry sunlight fell across the classroom illuminating lupin's gray hairs and the lines on his young face i have noticed jk rolling doing this many times it's the equivalent of you know a scene with a lot of music just cutting off the music for a little while so that something very important can be said rupin says the worst thing that has happened to you harry is enough to make anyone fall off their broom harry really needs to hear that he's been beating himself up right from his ride in hogwarts express the beginning of the book and finally some light is being thrown on his situation it's not by hermione or ron who don't understand it it's by lupin who understands more than harry thinks he can lupin also talks about dementors in general and how they are evil soul sucking monsters and they feed on people's happiness and i think these are some very important points both for the story and for harry to understand yeah and the minute harry confines in lupin lupin validates his decision by telling him exactly not what he wants to hear but what he needs to hear i also think lupin should have hugged harry he actually tries to put his hand on harry's shoulder but decides against it yeah when lupin talks about dementors he talks about how they guard askaban and how most people there just go mad trapped in their own heads and like we spoke in the last episode you realize that harry potter is so much about what happens within your head yeah i like that concept i think that a lot of what happens in the physical world doesn't affect us as much as what happens within our own head or how we perceive things that happen in the physical world yeah i agree i didn't think about it like that christmas holidays are around the corner and ron and hermione are such good friends for staying back more than wanting friends like that i want to be a friend like that yeah that's something i look up to being able to stay faithful mm-hmm. to a friend even when they are leading you to danger it's really mature also they're 13 year olds who act better than some adults i know 
precisely because we are adults and we think too practically and logically at many points we might miss out on the simple truths like friendship means being faithful being there for each other yeah and i also think fred and george in their own way are also good friends they're looking out for harry's happiness yeah and ron and hermione are good friends so it makes sense that they are thinking of harry's happiness but fred and george only know harry as ron's friend but they still go to a great amount of trouble to make him happy yeah i think the whole weasley family just go out of their way to keep harry safe and happy and what fred and george do is actually really amazing because they hand over something that is really valuable and it's not like fred and george are graduating this year and they don't need it anymore or anything like that they just realize that harry needs it more than they do and you know what that's okay even though it's questionable it is a very unselfish thing to do yes okay a little bit of context i don't think we gave that there's a hogsmeade visit at the end of the term and everyone gets to go but harry and he's a little bummed out about it the day everyone goes to hogsmeade fred and george call harry aside and give him something really useful and important the way they start off telling the story of how they find it is really funny and we couldn't help noticing a drawer in one of his filing cabinets marked confiscated and highly dangerous well what would you've done said fred george caused a diversion by dropping another dung bomb i whipped the drawer open and grabbed this yeah it is i think it was all worth it because fred and george take something from filch that is super magical in every sense of the word and completely extraordinary it's practically a challenge for them to get it working i think it's amazing that fred and george managed to get it to work yeah because they had no context and it's clearly very complex i solemnly swear i'm up to no good it's such a weirdly specific password how do they ever crack it it just goes to show that when motivated they are incredibly good wizards In this case I just think that maybe just expressing your real intentions is enough to get the map working. I don't know if it has to be the exact same words. Maybe. I I'm not certain either. Inner workings of the map are never really revealed. I feel like the map kind of makes the second book's plot a little shaky. Was the basilisk on the map? I don't think so. The map maker should have known about it for it to be on the map. So the map is limited by what the map makers know. I think so to some extent at least. And also Fred and George would not have known where to look. That's true. Or when to look. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was kind of weird that George says we don't really need the map anymore because they still kind of do how else will you get live updates of people's locations without the Marauders map? I think they might be a little too smart for that now. Maybe they just know or they can easily get out of trouble maybe. Or I guess they don't value the live updates part so much as the map itself like they value the knowledge of Hogwarts's tunnels and secret entrances and ways of getting around but not really like where are people and what are they doing or maybe they do value and like we discussed they understand that Harry's need is more important yeah I'm reading the illustrated edition of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban all of these pages have leafy green backgrounds which i think is supposed to be like branches of pine trees like christmas trees and this starts way before harry actually even gets to hogsmeade it made for a really nice festive reading and also the marauders map is actually in the book and it looks a lot like the marauders map from the movies it has the same kind of labeling system which i thought was very old fashioned and made it hard to read but whatever no one cares about me the map <laughs> actually has a room for muggle art and artifacts oh yeah There are actually a lot of fascinating rooms and I peered at a dot in Arithmancy and I think it was labeled Arvind. Ah. The Indian name Arvind. Representation. Yeah. <laughs> Or maybe a typo. 
Yeah. I'll take a picture and we'll add it to the post. Let's do it. The main reason why they give this map to Harry is for him to use the specific tunnel that they are talking about to reach Hogsmeade. And luckily enough they catch Harry right next to the entrance to the tunnel. It's a little bit different in the book how the map works. In the movie it's just footsteps with the person's name as a label, but in the book it's a miniature version of the person itself. So the miniature Harry in the map actually guides the real Harry into opening a humped witch's statue. Mhm. to get to the tunnel and apparently he has to walk for an hour and climb more than 200 steps to reach Hogsmeade and I'm like is this really worth it Hogsmeade is not exactly next door for him to just pop over there also this map has better onboarding than a lot of software that I have used <laughs> seriously true <laughs> i guess all we need is a bit of magic yes i think it's totally worth it because when harry comes out at the end of the tunnel he's in honeydukes's cellar and there are so many sweets. JK Rowling writes amazing descriptions of food. I was so hungry <laughs> when I was reading this. Yeah, lucky for Harry, Ron and Hermione are in Hogsmeade trying to buy Harry sweets. He sneaks up on Ron and Hermione when they're discussing what to buy Harry, including cockroach clusters. Sounds terrible even if it's like makeshift cockroaches. Yeah. Looks like as a child Ron was just bullied a lot by Fred and George because there are a lot of stories in which he says that he knows about a certain thing because Fred and George tried to bully him with it including a sweet called acid pops which just burns a hole through your tongue yeah that's terrible poor guy and he still wants revenge he asks if they would eat the cockroach clusters if he calls them peanuts i mean come on ron up your game i know peanuts Oh. They walk around Hogsmeade, but Harry, who did not even have a coat, while Fred and George called him, he is just really cold. So they decide to go have butter beer in Three Broomsticks. Do you think butter beer has alcohol? I wasn't certain, but it did warm them up, so I think it might have a little bit at least. Thirteen-year-old kids drinking alcohol. That's really one of the fantasies. <laughs> <laughs> I think the other fantasy is that they walk into a pub in the middle of a weekend where Hogwarts students are visiting and find an empty table. I think that might be true of just any other country in a corner also. Like I said, I think it's true of a country where the population is not so high. I guess these are some real facts about living in India. <laughs> these are things that we can only dream of. Yes. So they're drinking butter beer and they're sitting in their corner table near the Christmas tree when Harry realizes the catch. It's the weekend for teachers also and particular teachers who know that he shouldn't be in Hogsmeade are in the pub along with them. Ron and Hermione act immediately and dunk Harry below the table. Harry spills some of his butter beer but is crouching under the table when Hermione like moves the Christmas tree so that it hides them. At that point I feel like Harry could have sat up but he chooses to lurk under the table anyway and eavesdrop on the conversation happening at the table right next to them and lucky for Harry a lot of interesting things happen I really find it strange that McGonagall and Cornelius Fudge run in the same gossip circles I find it really strange that they would talk about such incidents in a pub on a weekend where they know Hogwarts students would be there but we also find out that it was a favorite haunt of Sirius Black when he was in Hogwarts. I like that Madame Rosemarta's curviness is described in great detail. I know. <laughs> And they all have a conversation. McGonagall, Professor Flitwick, Cornelius Fudge and Madame Rosemarta. I mean, Madame Rosemarta is a placeholder for us. She doesn't know a lot of these things. And mm. the teachers and the minister just like piece together information to form a complete story for Harry. 
No, but seriously, everybody has a role to play here. Everybody has to call upon something that they know intimately well. Like McGonagall brings the perspective from Dumbledore. Dumbledore remained worried. He was sure that somebody close to the Potters had been keeping you know who informed of their movements. Hagrid brings the story of how he met Sirius after Harry's parents died. I didn't know he'd been Lily and James's secret keeper. Thought he'd just heard the news of you know who's attack and come to see what he could do. White and shaken he was. And you know what I did? I comforted the murdering traitor. Flitwick talks about the Fidelius charm, an immensely complex spell involving the magical concealment of a secret inside a single living soul. The information is hidden inside the chosen person or secret keeper and is henceforth impossible to find unless of course the secret keeper chooses to divulge it. And the minister talks about how he met Sirius in Azkaban. Yes, I was astounded at how little effect the dementors seemed to be having on him. and he was one of the most heavily guarded in the place you know dementors outside his door day and night correct yeah everyone's there for a very specific purpose so basically we understand a lot about what went on in harry's past about how the notorious serious black was actually james potter's best friend and how they used to hang out together in school a lot so much so that he was the best man at their wedding yeah and how he was made their secret keeper while they used a fidelis charm to hide themselves and how dumbledore was suspicious of someone close to james potter and lily potter being a mole and leaking information to voldemort and how when voldemort tried to kill harry potter he lost his body hagrid saw sirius black at the scene of crime and he just assumed that sirius black was really sad because his best friend died and not because his master disappeared and then we find out that sirius black gave hagrid his motorcycle and then just tried to disappear but he was hunted down by another one of james and sirius's friends peter pettigrew who confronted him in a muggle street and that's where the infamous story of black murdering 13 people came from black's magical abilities are so amazing that the only thing left of peter was a few body parts and that's how he went to askaban Fudge says this really shocking story about how when he came onto the scene the street was blown up and the sewer drains were exposed and muggles were screaming and black was just laughing. They also reveal a very very important information which is that Sirius Black is Harry's godfather. I know. No wonder no one came for him after his parents died. His godfather supposedly helped kill his parents. It's really hard for Harry to digest all this obviously. Sirius Black is also not remorseful because he is not affected by the Azkaban guards at all and somehow he ended up escaping Azkaban too and now everything that Malfoy said would make complete sense. It's no question that Harry would want to go after Sirius Black now. Yes. I think this is the first substantial look into the past we are seeing in Harry Potter. Mm-hmm. As a reader it gives us a sense of the series of events that unfolded in the past that led to Harry being where he is right now. This is the first time that Harry is able to understand his past more clearly. These two chapters are really important and my favorite. They move the plot of the whole series and not just this book. I agree they do. I also felt really sad reading this chapter because it just reinforces the point that everybody except Harry knows about Harry's past. Sad truth. but also they only know like bits and pieces of harry's past that's kind of his quest to put them all together and make sense of it yeah because we know that what everybody knows is a very subjective interpretation of what they saw and possibly the person who knows the most might be numbledore 
Yeah. But in the end, it's Harry who will know the real truth of the truth. Yeah. It's also Harry's life. So obviously he knows best. So I think that brings us to the end of today's episode. Thank you for listening. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram to stay updated about when our next episode releases. We're MimbleWimblePod on Twitter and Instagram. You can also check out our website, MimbleWimble.in. We are not able to stick to a schedule as much as we would like to. So make sure you follow us in these places so you're up to date on when the next episode is up. If you like MimbleWimble, please share it with your friends and get more people to listen to it. We'll see you in the next episode. Until then. Mooney, Wormtail, Padfoot and Prongs. We owe them so much.